Father, we thank you and we bless you because you are indeed great. You're an awesome God. Father, now as we look into your word, I pray that hearts are prepared to receive the implanted word which is able to save souls, God. Bless our hour, God, Holy Spirit, teacher of truth, would you come, pour out your spirit upon us. Bring us wisdom, bring us revelation, bring us truth, that we might grow thereby in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're in the book of Galatians, chapter 3. We're going to do verses 1 through 14. One of the little ones, when uh, they came in, and she sat down next to me. She said, wow, your head is shining. <laughs> and I didn't respond to it, but you know I was thinking of a real good answer, right? <laughs> so while we were worshiping, I came up with one. You guys are familiar with the Shekinah glory, right? <laughs> That's what that is. So when it stops shining up here, y'all better run because it's Ichabod. <laughs> The spirit has left. Well, good morning, everyone. I am honored and privileged to be with you guys. First time I've been in this location, and I am just blown away by God's goodness. This is an awesome facility, and I know God is pleased. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be looking at benefits of grace and the wages of the law, benefits versus wages. And as I was studying this and just thinking about it, in the picture that Paul is trying to paint, I believe, for us, I'm going to try to bring it into the modern-day vernacular so that we can really grasp hold of what it is because I don't think, uh, well, I don't know, maybe, but I don't think anyone here is, is looking to, you know, um, offer up sacrifices and maybe do a little, you know, uh, circumcision and that kind of thing in terms of, you know, uh, works and things like that. But I know that there are some still today who thinks that they can be good enough for God, you know, and, and what they do. And Paul makes it very clear in this passage that that's impossible. In the song that we sang, nothing but the blood of Jesus, it's nothing but the blood. It's the blood and only that. It's the substitutionary atonement that God sent in the person of a son uh, that uh, sinful man could stand before a holy God. And hopefully we'll get a chance to see that. So, there's a young man who was approached by a, uh, a preacher, and this is the conversation, if you will, that occurred with the two. The young man says, I've tried religion for the past five years, and it hasn't worked. I gave it up. These were the words of a young man in answer to a preacher who had asked him to accept Christ. Why? I tried religion for 15 years, and it did nothing for me. I gave it up too, the preacher said. There was a pause that followed. Then why are you a minister, the youth asked. Then I tried Christ, and he fully met my, met my needs. It is not religion I am recommending to you but a living, loving Savior. Religion is the best some people can do. Christianity is the best that God did. I'll read that again. I stole this one, so don't think I'm, you know, I ain't got it like that. I stole this one. I didn't come up with this one, but I thought it was good. 
Religion is the best some people can do. Christianity is the best God has done. Christianity is God's best. Christ is no sheriff. He is the Lamb of God. You get the two? Law, sheriff. Christ is not, oh, oh, guilty. Oh, got you. That's not what he's doing. He's a sacrificial lamb that the Father sent that we might have fellowship with the Holy God. Amen? So we're going to go through this. I'm going to read uh, the passage, and we're going to go back and see if we can't pull some points out of here. And hopefully, by the time it's all over, you guys will be fed and full and, play, and praising God, and it'll be a good thing. And we might be able to walk out of here with a little bit more knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the scriptures say, that we uh, would grow in the grace and the knowledge of his son, but also that we would be conformed in his image from glory to glory. All right. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly pro, uh, portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with truth? In this passage, Paul asks uh, several rhetorical questions. The questions with the implication that the response is pretty evident. And so he asks again, this is the one thing uh, I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being made perfect or complete or mature by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 6, even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of the faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on, one, hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Again, benefits of grace and the wages of the law. Wages meaning payment or being paid. So picture this. You have two options. Someone wants to give you if you will, benefits. They're good benefits. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is receive them. By the same token, you have an individual that's going to offer you the same benefits, but you got to work for them. Now, I'm not lazy. I'm not above going out and working, but if somebody's actually 
asking me to receive benefits for free versus working for them, which one are you going to take? And they're the same benefits, by the way. You know, take the ones that are given to you, right? The benefits. So think about it. You're a Christian. The Judaizers that were coming in after Paul were not denying the cross. You know what they were doing? They were perverting it. Christ plus, Christ plus, Christ plus. And anytime you add plus to the cross, that's sin. Because you're perverting the gospel. The gospel is very clear. There's only one way to the Father. Jesus said it right, John what, 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one can come to the Father except what? Through me. I am the way. I am the way. So here in, in this, um, this passage, what we really have is, is grace versus law. Grace versus law. And there's this fine tension, if you will, between it. And Paul does a masterful job of showing that it's all about grace. And so the first thing we see is in verse 1, going back up to the top, you foolish Galatians, you senseless Galatians, who has bewitched, who has charmed you, who has put a spell on you? Now when Paul came, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul was a very good preacher of the gospel. And so when he left them, he left them with everything that they needed in order to understand their salvation in Christ Jesus. But the first thing that we see here is when he asks, he says in verse 2, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? By works of the law. Or did you receive it by hearing of faith? So I was thinking about this. So, you know, I have a few gifts from the spirit that God has given me. Um, one of them being speaking in tongues. I don't recall in my walk with Christ where I was, you know, I was just really trying my best to be righteous and be holy. That all of a sudden I broke out in speaking in tongues. That's not how it happened. You know, God gave me, obviously, the gift to teach his word. I don't recall, you know, me living in such a way uh, trying to be righteous that all of a sudden I had knowledge of the Holy Scriptures. That's not how it happened. And so this question that Paul is asking is he's having them recall, okay, you, you have the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, anybody that's uh, born of the Spirit has the Spirit within them. If you would please turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In the first verse, Paul says, before whose eyes Jesus was publicly portrayed. That word could literally be, uh, be uh, uh, spoken of as uh, plastered on a billboard. Paul touch, uh, taught in such a way that Jesus Christ and the crucifixion and the cross was demonstrated very vividly to the Galatians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, says this, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I have determined to know, here it is right here, for I have determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him what? Crucified. This is Paul in Corinth. Prior to going to Corinth, Paul was in Athens on Mars Hill, 
Anybody know what happened on Mars Hill? That's where all the philosophers, the Stoics and the Greek philosophers would meet. And it was all about some new profound, you know, uh, saying or something. And so Paul came and it says that his spirit was very vexed because they had idols all over the city. And so Paul had an opportunity to go and speak to these philosophers, these Stoic Greeks. And he talked about, you know, uh, you guys have all of these statues of idols. You have even one of the unknown God. And he began to talk to them about Jesus Christ. He even talked to them about the resurrection. But in none of his talking did he ever mention the cross. And so after it was all said and done, you know what they said to Paul? Paul, that's some great stuff, man. That really sounds good. Why don't you come back tomorrow and we'll talk about it. Did Paul start a church in Athens? So when Paul gets to Corinth, this is what he says. He says, I've determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because he had already experienced what had happened in Athens. See, it's the cross that saves. It's the cross that brings conviction. The cross even offends, the Bible says. So you're either going to fall on the cross or the cross is going to fall on you. But after that encounter, Paul determined, he says in his writings in, in 1 Corinthians, I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not eloquent speech. It's not the wisdom of man. It's not anything. It's something as simplistic as the cross. But you know what? To people who are smarter than me, that's an offense. I don't, Pastor John quotes this quite a bit, Calvary Chapel Lexington. He talks about Ted Turner, uh, the billionaire who was being interviewed, and somebody asked him the question about Christianity, and he point blank said, I don't need another man to die for me. And that's the attitude of the world. So Paul says, I know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you would, please go to Ephesians chapter 1. Again, Paul asked the question, how did you receive the Spirit? Did you work for the Spirit? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. So think about it. Did the gift of the Spirit happen while you were working for righteousness? Working hard on being righteous and breaking out in healing and laying on of hands and, and speaking in tongues and prophesying? Did it happen? Paul says in Ephesians it happened when? When you heard the message of what? Salvation. But that was just part of it. What was the other part? And believe. Heard it, now I believe it. Because the word of God is going forth all over this world by the power of the Spirit. As God uses missionaries, as God uses pastors, as God sends people in, in other countries. But everybody ain't believing. So it's not just the, the word of God being spoken. That's God's part. What's our part? We got to believe. There has to be this encounter where a holy God meets wretched man, and then God shows him his need for a Savior. And you know what? When you're desperate, you kind of have ears to hear, right? 
just a little bit. So he says, after hearing and believing, you are sealed with the Spirit. So Ephesians 1.13 tells us, and everybody, again, who is born of the Spirit receives the Spirit. That's what this is saying. So think about it in your own experience. How did it happen for you? How did it happen for you? And I think one of the reasons why Paul asked this question is he wanted to personalize it so that everybody could have their own personal experience. Do your own personal inventory. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Again, was it by the work of your flesh or was it uh, as God has given as a gift to you, the Spirit? Nope, don't think so. I think it came by, if you will, Flesh, uh, faith by me believing in, in Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say in verse 4, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 3, having begun uh, by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? First thing we see is faith gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now he's asking the question about maturing. That word perfected or being made complete means to mature. Are you working for your maturity? Are you working uh, as you were for your salvation by receiving, if you will, maturity, growing up in the things of God? Again, a rhetorical question for the believers. Faith in Jesus Christ brings maturity. Are you manufacturing your maturity? Are you being made complete by the flesh? And then he goes on to say, in verse 4, did you suffer many things in vain? He's talking about the persecution that the Galatians received. Did you get persecuted for the fact that you heard by salvation through faith, Jesus Christ, or through the works? Was that a, a suffering in vain? And then he says in verse 5, so then does he who provides or supplies you with the Spirit and work miracles among you, do it by the works or by hearing with, with faith? This is an interesting question. So he who supplies you with the Spirit and miracles, does he do it because you've worked hard? Does he do it because you're working so hard at, at being righteous? That would be an insult to God, wouldn't it be? What I'm telling God is, God, I'm good enough for you to bless me with your Spirit. God, I'm good enough for you to... to you, and and um, uh, the, the word among could be translated in, by, or with. So by the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, God is using you, and you're saying, God, I'm good enough for that. Well, there are days when I don't even feel good enough to stand before God's people and teach. There are times when I don't even feel good enough just to be called a son of God, let alone for him to use me by the power of his spirit or, or produce miracles amongst me. That would be an insult to God. Again, I think it's a rhetorical question that the Galatians, if they thought seriously about and contemplated and meditated on, they could see that that's absolutely not the case. It's because of, of faith in Jesus Christ and all that he's done in my life. And so we see faith brings or gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Faith brings maturity. Faith works miracles in God's people. And it goes on to say in verse 6, Even so Abraham, Abraham the father of faith, believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Believe God. That word believe could literally be translated, amen. It was 
Abraham confirming with God when God produced or gave him the promise found in uh, Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. So turn to that, if you would, please. Genesis chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Excuse me. Then behold, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir. No one will come, I'm sorry, but one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look, at, now look toward the, the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned to him, as righteousness. God said, look at the stars. There's going to be descendants coming out of your loins that are greater than the stars. Abraham believed. Abraham said, amen. I agree. He affirmed, he confirmed what God spoke into his life. He says, God, I believe you. And so faith imputes righteousness to my account. Because it says it was reckoned to him as what? Righteousness. That word reckon is a, a bookkeeping term. It means somebody depositing something into your account. And so the very fact that I believe in Jesus, that accounts me, that reckons me, that imputes on me righteousness. Man, why do I need to work for something? All I have to do is believe God. And he says, not guilty. Not guilty. Thank you, Lord. Going on. Verse 7. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Here's another blessing. Here's another benefit of faith. Read it again. Therefore, be sure it is those who are of what? Faith. Who are sons of Abraham. So I get this righteousness obviously that I don't deserve, imputed to me. And now I'm brought into the family of God. I receive sonship and faith in Jesus Christ. I am now an heir of Abraham. Spiritual son. Spiritual son. It brings sonship. The scriptures, verse 8 says, uh, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Verse 10, now this is where we get into the difference between faith and keeping the law. Grace and law. Look at what it says. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide 
by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. So the first thing we see here is that the law is all or nothing. It's all or nothing. You either keep all of it or you've broken them all. Go to the book of James, if you would, please. The law is a stern taskmaster. If you don't keep it, it brings cursings. And he's saying, if you will, he being the law, you must keep all of me. James 2, we're going to look at verse 10 and 11. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of what? Anybody know what all in the Greek means? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, all. So let me give you a scenario. Far-fetched one, but you'll get the point. She was about three or four years old. Mama's making your favorite chocolate chip cookies with pecans. And she got the kitchen smelling good, and you sitting there watching mom, and you salivating, waiting. And they're finished. Mom's got them on the cookie tray. She puts them up on the counter, and she says, Stephen, I'm, I'm sorry, that wasn't me. I didn't mean to call my name. That ain't me. She says, Wait for them to cool off, and I'll give you one. Yes, Mom. Mom leaves the room. She's going to another part of the house. She's got some stuff to do, right? I told, up, oh, whoa, hot. I thought I told you not to eat. I didn't eat no cookies. You got chocolate chips smeared all over your face. I ain't no cookies, Mom. Guilty? Caught, right? Red-handed. Now, if you did just that one thing and lived your life the rest of your life, impossible, but let's just say, for instance, you did that, and you never did anything else again, you never sinned, that one act was enough to call you, declare you what? Guilty. Guilty. That's what it means to keep the whole law. You know that little white lie you told your wife when she asked you, how do I look? Guilty, family, guilty enough to be reckoned guilty. You see how tough the law is? Stern taskmaster. If you're going to live your life by the law, you better keep everything. You know that time when you're driving down the road and you're trying to get to where you was getting to and it says 45 and you was doing 65 and even though you didn't get caught, you broke the law? Well, come on, somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Guilty. Keeping the law is trying to reckon with a stern taskmaster. It's either all or nothing. So the law is all or nothing. Verse 11 shows that faith brings a righteous life. Verse 11 says, Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. That's taken from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, and it literally says this. 
find my place. He who is righteous by faith shall he live. And so this is the picture. Habakkuk was a prophet who the Lord used to speak what he was going to do, what the Lord was going to do to his rebellious Israel. He showed him through visions and through words that God was going to use an evil people, the Babylonians, to punish his people. And, and Habakkuk couldn't understand that. God, how, how are you going to let that happen? And so in the midst of this, in chapter 2, verse 4, he's telling Habakkuk, even though there's a danger coming, even though all of this stuff is going to take place, come to pass, he says the righteous man will live by what? By faith. Even though I know things are going to happen, I'm still going to trust you, God. I'm still going to believe in you, God. A person with faith is a person who trusts in God. A person with faith is a person who trusts in God. Now, if I'm working, and I'm doing all this work, and I'm laboring, working it all out, then who am I trusting in? Trusting in me. Trusting in myself. But when I put faith in something else, then I'm trusting in that. Everybody came in, took a seat, right? Did you come in and do this? Before you sat down, what'd you do? Why? Because I believe, by faith, that I'm not heavy enough to go flat. <laughs> when I sat down, I believe the chair was going to hold me up. When I go into a dark room, what's the first thing I do? Why? Because I have faith that what? The light's going to turn on. Faith is that simple. Faith means that I put trust in God. If I'm walking by faith, then I'm believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 12. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Faith brings a righteous life. The law is based not on faith, but on performance. That word practice or practices could mean literally to perform or to execute or to do. On the contrary, he says, he who practices who executes them, has to live by them. The law, again, is not based on faith. It is based on what I do, how I live my life, how I execute. And going back to the previous verse where it says I need to keep the whole law, there are days even before I put my feet on the ground from bed, after waking up where I've already sinned. Because the Lord told the Pharisees when they were talking to him about the law. And he says, you've heard it says that you're not to what? Commit adultery. But I say what? That if you lust, lust in your heart, what? You've already what? See, sin doesn't begin with my actions. Sin begins where? In my heart. It begins in my heart and then in my mind. In verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. 
Curses everyone who hangs on a tree. That's taken from Deuteronomy 21, 23. Back in those days, they weren't, now when he says hang on a tree, I know a lot of us think about a picture of the cross, but they didn't crucify back in old Israel. They did what? Stoned them to death. But there were times when the, the sin was so egregious that after they stoned them to death, you know what they would do? They would hang them on a tree as an example. But they would remove them before the sun went down. So that's what he's talking about. Curses anyone who hangs from the tree. Deuteronomy again, 21, 23. And so the law brings a curse, but look at what faith brings in 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. So he redeems. He buys us back. That's that word uh, redemption or to redeem. When I was a kid growing up, uh, you could redeem uh, soda pop bottles. Can you still do that now? Man, we used to make a whole bunch of money. We used to go climbing through uh, trash cans and stuff to get bottles. And you'd go to the store and redeem them, get paid, and buy a whole bunch of candy and get sick. But that's that idea of, of redemption, of buying back. Christ redeems us. Faith gives us redemption. Redemption from what? He bought us back from the slavery of sin. The whole picture is the kinsman redeemer. That's what it's talking about. Well, Christ has brought us, bought us back from uh, the bondage of sin. But it also says he became a curse for us. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. If you're there, say amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him, he, God the Father, made him, him being Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus Christ. So let me explain that to you. This is what it looks like. The day on Calvary, when God the Father looked down at his son, and poured out his wrath for all the sin, past, present, and future to come. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is a time that God the Father looked at Jesus as if he, as if he lived my life. Now, I'm a wretch. I have did a whole lot of vile things. But there's going to come a time, day of judgment, not the great white throne judgment, but the what? Bema seat. Well, I'm going to stand before a holy God. And God the Father is going to look upon me as if I live Jesus' life. Yeah, that's what I say. I don't know about you, but that's mind-blowing to me. That's like stealing. That's like going into Fort Knox and taking all the gold out and running with it. That's stealing. But that's what that, he made him who knew no sin. Be sin. When God looked upon him, sin for the whole world, every past, present, and future person to be born, to live. That's what he saw. Now, only you know what you've done. And I'm sure there are some things that you've done that nobody else knows except one. But yet that day when you stand before a holy God, you know what he's going to say? Well done. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. 
So he who knew no sin was made sin. That's the curse that he took for us. He became a curse. We're supposed to be stretched out on the tree. Not him. Going back to Galatians. So faith brings redemption and atonement, substitutionary atonement. And then finally in verse 14, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through him. And then look at verse 9, if you will, real quickly. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Two words in both of those passages that I want us to look at. Blessed. Blessed. Faith brings blessings. Faith brings blessings. Look again at it. In order that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come. And then in verse 9 it says, so then those who are of faith are what? Blessed. So faith brings blessings. The curse is of the law. Law brings cursing. So which one are you going to pick? You're going to try to work your way to God? That's a hard way to go, ain't it? That's a hard way to hold. That's too hard. Ground too, too hard. There's a U-turn for Christ. I'm the pastor of U-turn for Christ, uh, Lexington, but there's a U-turn up in Tennessee. And uh, anybody been to Tennessee? Anybody ever tried digging in Tennessee? Tennessee got some serious ground. It ain't no joke. And part of the ritual, if you will, if you're disobedient, you turn for Christ, if you have, you have to go out back, you have to dig a five-by-five five hole. Well, them guys that be digging in Tennessee, woe unto them. That's some serious slate out there, man. When you get a pickaxe at night and you start pounding, you know what happens? You start seeing sparks. For real, is that serious? Yeah, yeah. That's like trying to work to God through the law. That's some serious work. However, by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, we receive all the benefits. Real quick, what are the benefits? Faith brings, gives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Faith brings maturity, completeness in my life. I grow in the things of God. Faith works miracles and God's people. Faith imputes righteousness to my account. I'm declared not guilty simply by God putting into my account through faith. Faith brings sonship. I'm now son of Abraham, but also joint heir with Christ Jesus. Faith brings a righteous life. The just shall live by faith. Faith brings redemption and atonement. Faith brings blessings. The law, on the other hand, it's all or nothing. The law brings cursings. So in closing, if you had to choose, which way would you go? Would you, would you take your chances on you being able to perform well enough to stand before a holy God and say, how you like me now? Or would you just take that free gift of salvation that he has so graciously bestowed upon us at the expense of who? His son. It's called grace. Salvation doesn't cost us anything, but it costs somebody everything they had. Grace, the acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you and we bless you, God, that through Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaking to us in the book of Galatians, we see very clearly, Lord, that, that there is no way that sinful man could ever attain or achieve a righteousness that would in any way compare to the keeping of the whole law. We thank you, God, that Christianity is your best. And we realize, God, that religion is our best. And Lord, we don't want religion. We want a personal relationship with a living, loving Savior who came and died for our sins. And we thank you for that, God. And we ask, God, that if there is anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, that you would use this as an opportunity, Lord, to draw them unto yourself. God, that you would use this uh, word to speak into their hearts, Lord God, and show them, Lord, uh, that there's nothing that they need to do except to believe. And that word means to put faith, trust, and confidence in the work of the cross. We praise you and we thank you, God, and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.